Hi everyone, welcome to Wildly Becoming. I'm your host, Rachel Bain. Our stories hold the power to help others overcome. Join us each week to hear incredible real life stories from our guests. We are wildly becoming who God created us to be. Let's get started with today's episode. Hey, Wildly Becoming fam. Thanks for joining us for the Wildly Becoming podcast. I am here with the amazing co-host, Jill. Jill, she doesn't have (laughs) bling on today. I know you can't see her, but we always talk about how much bling she has. Today, she has leopard print, so I'm giving you a visual. (laughs) I always give her a hard time. She's lucky. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The things that happen when you co-host with your friend. So today's guest, I'm super excited about. It's someone that I love to pieces. He's one of the smartest people I know, Christopher Allen. He is the pastor of Hopeland Church. Chris, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, so I met Chris through our mutual friend that's now in heaven, Pastor Joel Burton, and he connected us. And the crazy thing was at the time, we didn't realize how far that connection would go. And so I ended up helping at the church start a women's ministry with my dear friend, Anna. And then I got the blessed opportunity to share a message. Pastor Chris, let me share a word. And then I got to teach the kiddos in church. So that was super awesome too. So I also want to say before we dig in today, thank you, Chris, for opportunities you've given me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. We've had so much fun working together. Yeah, I have a blast working with you. You're amazing. And one of my favorite things about Chris is his heart for the youth. So tell us a little bit about your journey, Chris. Like you started out as a youth pastor, right? Yeah, well, sort of. I I was at my church as a in our youth program there, and I was a part of the worship team. And I ended up becoming the worship leader of the youth program and then a worship leader at the weekend. And uh, we decided that we were going to re-kick off our youth group there at the church. And we had five of us, I think. It was just a wild ride. We we It was a church, a small church, like 100 people, maybe a little less, 90 people on a weekend. Uh, and we started this youth group with five people in, I think, September. And by January the following year, we, were, we had over 100 students coming. It was unbelievable. From there on, I was super involved in youth ministry and was really running that program and then started a church where I'm at now. And we started a youth program here and uh, it's been a really strong arm of our church. And our church is just really centered on reaching people far from God rather than reaching people who already know him. And so students are, I think, a really big part of that because there's so many, you know, so many young people who are growing up in households where their families, you know, separated from church a long time ago and they don't know God, they don't know who he is. You know, that's what we're really all about. And I, I've had a, a really uh, fun time just learning along the way and, and growing as a person myself and and loving the opportunity to reach students who who are just they have an open ear. You know, they haven't made up their mind yet and they're they're willing to hear. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So, yes, you mentioned worship. You're a phenomenal worship leader. You recently did worship in a parade. Oh, my goodness. That caused me to have no voice for a month. <laughs> But it was so awesome and it sounded so good. So how many people do you know that do worship on the back of a truck bed, you know, driving down the road? That was so cool that you did that. You know, I've led, I've probably led a worship band over a thousand times, but it was funny. I stepped on the back of that 
And I, I said to, uh, to to Dave that was with us, I said, you know, I have never done this while in a moving vehicle and I don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like how you sing and play a guitar while moving is beyond me. No. I thought that was so cool. Especially when you're standing, because I thought, oh, no, they're going to stop and start. And it's a trailer, you know, where it kind of like pulls and gets, you know, just has that jerking. Happening. Yeah. Oh, my so, gosh. The visual. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. You're awesome. You really do lead worship wonderful. So your church, Hopeland, did you start in a barn or something like that? What's that story? Oh, my goodness. We did. So we uh, after growing our, our youth ministry at the church I was at before, we decided that we wanted to create a church that was focused in on reaching young people who didn't know God. And so we decided to do that. But we were young ourselves. In fact, I was 23 years old. Oh, my um, goodness. And I love to tell people this is probably the least strategic church start in the history of church starts. You know, we had no money, no notoriety. We didn't know we didn't have any church planting boot camps. We hardly knew what church planting was. We'd heard of the word, at least, you know. We set out to start with no money in my father-in-law's barn out in the middle of nowhere. It's just cornfields surrounding our church. And it was in the middle of January, and there was no insulation in this barn. So we had this bullet heater running in the barn for our first church service with 12 people. And it was it was crazy. I remember there was one time that summer where... We were doing our church service and a combine comes by the building. No way. So loud that we have to pause the service. We can't, we couldn't continue talking because it just, even with a PA system in the room, it was just not enough to overcome a combine. Who knew they were so loud? Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. Well, I love the story of how you finally got a church building, an actual place to call home. That was a journey for you, wasn't it? Oh my goodness. It was such a journey. It would it would probably take too long to go into all the details of how it yeah. happened. But I can tell you this. We prayed from the very from the very day we began to be at our location we're at now. If you're not from the Dayton area, there's a strip right here on 7075 called Middle Lane. If you're in Dayton area, everybody knows what it is. You say Middle Lane, nobody says where's that. They say, Oh, we're on Middle Lane. Yeah. And uh, we prayed from the barn days to be here. And it was crazy how there was event after event that led to an opening in a building that we couldn't afford that God opened the doors for. And here we are with a middle lane address. It's pretty, pretty phenomenal what can happen if you just pray for the impossible, which is what we what we did. And we didn't do that at first. It actually took a minute because at first we said, you know, we're not going to go for that building because it's too expensive. But we we had a, a series where we were talking about the Hall of Fame which is all the, you know, all the people of faith that did crazy things that were impossible. And that's when we decided to start praying for the building we're in now, which is, you know, we only had 35 people. There was no way that we could purchase this building it was worth over a million dollars. So we are, uh, we are just grateful for God's provision and blessing. And here we are in, in a building and I have an office. None of this was by our own work or hands. You know, this is, this was the Lord's incredible provision for us that uh, we leaned in on him and he provided. Wow. That's amazing. I love that so much. The craziest thing is back in the day when I was married, I looked at that building. We looked at it to possibly purchase it for a church. So being in a building that I prayed in that was vacant and then going back there and seeing you there, meeting you and all the Hopeland Church fam, which they're incredible people, and then actually preaching in that said building. So it is definitely cool with God, all things are possible and how he worked that out for you. And one thing I do love about you, Pastor Chris, is that your heart is so genuine. Like 
we joke and say everything is like organized chaos, you know, on Sunday mornings or getting things ready for church service. <laughs> chaos coordinator, but at the heart of it, the core is so good. And that's something I do want to affirm you in today while we're together here on the podcast. It's just like definitely pure hearts there for God and people. So definitely keep up the great work in that. And so I want to pivot to science because science is your jam. And when we were meeting with the school board, cool thing happened. Chris has this wide open door to go in and encourage students through the week at the school in his community and empower them and, and just share faith. It's just so cool what God is doing through Chris and their youth ministry and that church. And so Chris shared with me has a cool way to talk about science with people and students. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I don't feel like that's an area that is my jam that I can share that stuff with people to connect <laughs> science and God. Oh yeah, no problem. You know, it's one of those things. I was just having a conversation this morning with a gentleman that I've known for years because he's meet, been meeting with an atheist and uh, along the conversation came up, you know, that the, the prevailing idea of our day is that everything is natural and everything occurs naturally. And I said, I don't agree with you that that's the prevailing idea. I think that that's the prevailing propaganda. I think the prevailing idea in the data, in the science, in the archaeology, in every category, the prevailing idea that scientists even admit, atheistic scientists even admit, that they cannot understand or grasp why it is the way that it is, is that there seems to be an underlying force that has organized the universe in the way that it is today. And they do not know why it is the way it is, and they're presenting solutions that are ludicrous to try to fill that gap. It's actually hard to explain how ludicrous it is. It's so it's so obscene, the solutions they're presenting. They're not reasonable because the reasonable and rational answer to why the universe exists the way it is is that there is an intelligence behind it. We might say intelligence in a in a room full of atheists, but we all know who, what that intelligence is. And so th that's a big part of my my mission is to try and connect people to the evidence that God has left behind because God, the creator, has left his signature on the world. In fact, he wrote in Romans 1.20 that his divine nature, his invisible qualities are known through what has been made. And uh, as we dig into the world and realm of science, that's become absolutely incredibly true as we continue to see that the universe had a beginning and there was nothing before that beginning, which is baffling scientists and the absoluteness that we know that that was the real true beginning and there was nothing before is so concrete everyone agrees on it every scientist agrees and i love this stuff and i think it's so awesome i bought a hat i wore it in today not even for this podcast because i <laughs> forgot i thought it was next thursday when we were chatting but i've got a i've got an atom on my hat here i just love science i think it's so awesome i think it is god's handiwork and it shows us so much about who he is and what he's done and it's 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 pretty cool when you get into it just how much of it really shows that he was here so do you have people that know you that know you're into science and that history yeah. you know and and biblical truth ask you questions like where did dinosaurs come from oh yeah the, all the time i i am very well known for this in my circle that that know me people I mean, I'm probably the only person I know who who wears around 
shirts and hats with science symbols and emblems on them. Um, I get called Sheldon all the time, all the time. Oh my gosh. I mean, yes, you are my only friend that wears an Adam hat, which makes you extra cool. So, so what do you say to someone that says, well, what do you say about dinosaurs? Do you have an answer for that? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. And here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes we get into a little bit uh, I get into a little bit of a balancing act between Christianity and the world of science, because there's some views in the world of science where they make conclusions that I think are are far reaching. And then there are some views in Christianity where we have made conclusions that I also believe are far reaching. And so we, we try to correlate some of these and without making anybody mad listening, you know, I tend to lean towards the idea that the universe has been around a real long time. And I think God's word allows us to see that without violating anything in Genesis. And there's a lot of Christian leaders who think that way as well, especially Christian scientists, with the exception of a few like Ken Ham. I know Ken Ham is very committed to t six to 10,000 years. I, I've read all of Ken Ham's books. I do not agree with him. I think that dinosaurs were here a long time before we were around and that they went extinct and we're picking them up in the earth. And I think God left them here for us to, to discover. And it's kind of a journey. It's, it's pretty cool that we, he left all of this old stuff, not to mention it's interesting because what people don't realize is that in order for an advanced civilization to form, which I believe was part of God's purpose for us, there had to be a long time of living things like dinosaurs and other animals, a long, long time where they were living and dying and living and dying and being buried so that eventually over the course of a very long time, you would form these huge things that we would now know as petroleum reservoirs so that we can power our world before we would learn how to do more advanced things like fusion. So right now, wow. without that step, it would be so hard. God set this up perfectly for us. Huh. This is so fascinating to me. I need to hear more about this. So... You're saying that that life, the dinosaurs and all of that, the living and dying had to be here to set us up for the future because God yeah, knows the end before the this beginning. This would be really hard. Could we build all this? I don't know. We built a lot of this with with petroleum. I mean, we had a little bit going on with with trains and water. You know, we would heat the water up with by throwing even coal. I mean, coal again. That that's like an essentially a different type of petroleum. It's from the uh, earth. You know, it's it's dead animals that have decomposed and become coal. Uh, I mean, we would Whoa. basically be burning wood to power trains. I mean, that's about as far as we can get. It would really, really slow down our progress. Then if you think God's timing is not our timing. So if God's like thousands and thousands of years to us sounds just so magnanimous, but then there's, you know, it's just not, he knows all obviously it's not done yep. in our timing that's just i never yeah. really thought of it that way huh. here's another way of looking at this too and this is one of the discussions i've had with a lot of christians i know i said i said look from god's perspective we have to understand that things are not for him the same way they are for us right. and if they're like yeah yeah i know i'm like hold on just a second i don't know that we do know because we're talking about something beyond a, th a day to god is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day it does say that but i think that it says that to get to clue us in on some things that we've learned in the re, in recent history through a great scientist named Albert Einstein. We all know Albert Einstein wrote this amazing equation. We all heard of it. It's called E equals MC squared. Change everything about how we saw the world. 
Albert Einstein wrote that equation and we said, oh my goodness, time is a thing. It's not an idea. You know, for a long time we thought, oh, time is just an idea, you know, to kind of measure the sun coming up and going down. But but Albert Einstein said, no, that's not true. Time's a thing. It's a real thing. It exists. It's manipulatable. You can bend and stretch and change it. It's so real that if you move faster, time slows down for that object moving faster. I'm going to get to a point here that's important for this. So this, this all kind of ties together. So when we have satellites in space, they're actually they're edging towards the future a little bit more than we are. It's crazy how this works. And this is so critical that in order for GPS to work, we have to dial in Albert Einstein's equations to, to take into account that objects moving really fast above the earth are actually moving through time at a different speed. And what this means is, is that the future already exists and the past exists just as real as now exists. And so when you're God and you create the universe, you're not just creating the first moment. You're not just creating the, the earth with a barren ground and planting seeds like we do. You have to also create the future. So God is not standing inside of time making these things happen. He's standing outside of it. He's looking at the whole universe from beginning to end, the, from the beginning so all the way at the conclusion, and when he creates trees, he's not just creating trees in the first moment, but he's creating trees today and tomorrow and all the way to the end. And when he finished the creation, he stood back and it was all complete. Jesus had already died, already raised from the dead. We had already lived and died. Society had already developed. Spaceships had already happened. It was complete. He's standing there looking at it, and the universe, from his perspective, is not moving or changing. It's done. And that's hard for us to understand, but it's also why God uses really weird language when he's talking, like Jesus saying to the Pharisees when they were challenging him, saying, you knew Abraham? Because Jesus said, I had talked to him. How could you know Abraham? You're barely 30 years old. And he said, since the beginning of the world, I am, which is a strange way of thinking of grammar. But what he's saying is, I'm not actually in time. I'm outside of time. So any moment you go to, I am, I am as I am now. I'm an active agent able to change anything I want to at any time I want to. I'm not a part of this. I can come inside of it if I want to. And the spirit hovers over the waters. We see that in Genesis. You know, Jesus can step into time 2000 years ago and he can do things at that moment. But ultimately, God's place is outside of time. And so what this means is when God creates the universe in six days, it's six of his days. We don't know what that means or doesn't mean. In fact, scripture clarifies, hey, day to God's a thousand years, a thousand years is day. We don't really know what that means or doesn't mean. He had to create the whole universe because the future exists. And if it exists, something had to make it because we know in John, it says anything that has been made was made through Jesus. There is nothing that has been made that wasn't made through him. So if the future is there, he had to be made by God. So he made the future already. So what, what I'm getting at is that we, we can speculate a lot about Genesis but I, I think that the most important thing is to understand that God, when he created the universe, he created it from a standpoint outside of time, not necessarily within it. That is so good. And you reminded me, we did a Bible study recently. We were studying John chapter one, and you yep. quoted that verse. A lot of people forget, like you were talking about Jesus's language to the Pharisees in John chapter one. We read, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So he was with God in the beginning. 
Yep. And when we study that, the the ladies at our table were like, why do we never think about that before? That at creation, Jesus was there. Yep. So, In fact, he was the agent that made it all. Yes. It's interesting. We think of the Father as the one who created the universe, but it's not just here. It's in Romans. It's in almost all the Gospels. Yes. That it's in Corinthians. Jesus is the main acting agent in Genesis that creates the universe. It's pretty cool. Yes, it's very cool. And I think it is something that we just don't think about a lot. We just, like you said, just think it was, you know, just God. And so that is a really wild. You just took us on a wild ride. I'm like I, mind I, I'm blown sorry, I try right not to now. get off topic too, you know, so that we make sure we stick on here. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. No, I think it's, yeah. It's brilliant. And I think you have just such a brilliant mind and you're so smart. You're so intelligent. I love learning from you. Like every time I talk to you, I feel like I learned something new, but this is just an area for me that I never felt, I guess, equipped to share with people. Like, you know, as I'm learning from you, I'm like, wow, like I never thought about petroleum like at all. So these things that you're mentioning and bringing up, I'm like, I'm just glad I have heat. Like I didn't think about, oh, these dinosaurs had to live and die and live and die and Things had to happen in the actual earth for us to get to where we're at now. And creation played a part in all of that. Absolutely. Now, the thing that is, I think, really astounding that a lot of people aren't really aware of, you know, because people will say, oh, uh, there was or wasn't evolution. And I'm not a big, I'm not a subscriber to evolution. I, I, I think it's got some real big mathematical troubles. But what a lot of people don't realize is that if we're talking about whether the earth was in the habitable zone of a solar system and stuff like that. Those are for me, much less significant issues or probabilities than some things that lay at the very bottom of the universe. And what I mean by the bottom is, is that there's these things called that we call fundamental laws. And we didn't really get this at first, but as we were digging into this in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties, and Stephen Hawking came in the scene and some of these other big scientists that started discovering black holes and, you know, they started realizing, oh, there's, you know, the universe is way bigger than we thought. Oh, my goodness, the universe is expanding. You know, we we started pulling together a lot of a lot of detail. And what we realized, especially in the late 90s, we had a really big realization that the universe isn't static. It's it's accelerating its expansion and that it can be extrapolated back to a specific point in time. And then after that, there's nothing. And some of these things have allowed us to really key in some very specific features of the universe that will, that, as I mentioned before, they're called fundamental laws. And the fundamental laws are basically the rules for how nature interacts. And we have a ton of these fundamental laws. Here's the thing, though, that we started realizing that's very, very eerie if you're, if you're a naturalistic scientist is the more you look into these fundamental laws, we're realizing that they have been set just right for the universe to be allowed to exist in the way that it does. It's like just right is the heart is a hard way of saying. It. I mean, here here's an example of of one called the cosmological constant. The cosmological constant is set so perfectly that if you moved it just a little bit to the left, to a little bit of the right, it would break the entire universe expansion or it would collapse right at the beginning. And it's so tuned that it would be like if you stood on one side of the universe with a bow and arrow 
and you blindfolded yourself and you spun around at random and fired an arrow, you'd have to hit the target on the other side of the universe. That's how unlikely that was to be tuned correctly for the expansion rate of the universe to happen so that we could have galaxies and stars. And all scientists agree that this is the way that it is. And that's not the only thing that's tuned just right. There's other fundamental laws like gravity. We, no one has any idea why gravity is set the way it is, but we do know this. It could have been a number of different things, but it just so happens that gravity is set just right so that life can form on planets. There's another rule that exists called the Pauli exclusion principle in, in physics and quantum mechanics that allows atoms to formulate molecules. If the Pauli exclusion principle weren't present, you would have these molecules collapse into themselves and there would be, be no possibility for carbon or other particular atoms to formulate and create the kinds of atoms necessary for life to have ever formed. This is just three or four of the fundamental laws. There are around 20 to 30, and each one of them is insanely tuned. I mean, numbers cannot, I cannot put numbers <laughs> to this. Uh, it, it's hard to explain how huge these numbers are and how finite they are. And then you have to multiply them against one another, saying this one multiplied against this one, uh, multiplied against this one, because they're each a probability of their own. Added together, this universe is impossible. Impossible is the only word. I don't wow. even have words. I've wow. never even, I'm ashamed <laughs> to say, I don't know if I should admit this. Well, it's too late to turn back now. I've not even heard of fundamental laws. <laughs> Like the, and how you know these things and you can just talk about them. Uh, yeah. It's, it's super cool because what we're seeing is exactly what God said from the very beginning. And it's so true that if we look into, into physics and we look into creation, what we're seeing is we're seeing that God left his handprint. And in Romans 1.20, he said, no one will be with, you know, with an excuse. They will all, all men will be without excuse. Wow. Because of how incredibly real all of this will be. And not only not only do we have all of this, you know, that that we're talking about, but what we're what we're also looking at and understanding is the fact that all of these things happen that were impossible to have happen, that we that we have the electromagnetic force that allows for these complicated atoms to form and we have the the nuclear force and and we happen to have gravity and that works and it's just tuned just right and and all these other fundamental laws and the universe exists and the galaxies were able to form after all and you go on and on and on but just not only do all those things happen but somehow we ended up coming on the scene that's crazy too i mean we're seeing that not only did all those things happen not only did the earth form not only do we have oceans not only do we have water and life not only all of those things, not only did we form, but beyond that, you get onto all this. And then there's this incredible thing that occurs called the Bible. Yeah. Which again, is an unbelievable, unlikely event. You know, it, here's the thing. And this, this is, this is crazy because when you start, you're, we're talking science, but then you move into the other side of science, which is archeology, span right? We, we see that God preserved certain things until the modern world, because the modern world's going to challenge everything yes. as they should. I understand that. They have to challenge everything. Well, here we have Jesus die on the cross. He raises from the dead. All these people claim it happened. And we've got these statements that, you know, say, you know, nail pierced hands, a wounded side from the Old Testament. And, and along comes the argument 
You know, oh, they just changed that. They just added that. They just modified that to say that. Because why? Because again, that's impossible. It's impossible to have in multiple locations in scripture that it would have, that he would be pierced for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities. That is, they would pierce his hands and feet. How clear is that? Pierce his hands and feet. This was written in the time of David before crucifixion was even invented. But here's the thing that's so crazy. In 1947, archaeologists dug up this incredible find called the Dead Sea Scrolls. You've probably heard of it. Yes. And it was a huge moment because we saw all these ancient scriptures and everybody everywhere was like, now we finally get to prove that the Christians were changing the Bible. And then along comes what we now call 4Q88. 4Q88 is the scroll with Isaiah. And it's dated 150 years before Jesus. Wow. And we see that in these scrolls dating before Jesus' birth are the words that we, in fact, knew were there, both in Psalms and Isaiah, where it says, nail pierced hands and feet. He was pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. So we as a modern civilization know with incredible confidence that those words were written before Jesus and preserved for 2000 years so that we today could pick it up, analyze it and make sure that it was available for the whole world. Now you can go look at it in a museum. There it is sitting. Anybody can see that it says what it says and no one can contest it. And we can carbon date it to the exact date, 150 years before Christ and know that we know that these words were written before his birth and that all these people claimed that Jesus lived and died and then He lived again, and then he preached to all these people. And we had not just one witness, not just two witnesses, but hundreds of witnesses saw this and multiple wrote it down. And even Jesus' critics, his critics who said who didn't like him, they never claimed. If we look at Josephus, if we look at other writers from the period, none of them actually contest Jesus' miracles. They all say those miracles are from the devil. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I really hope you're preaching about this Sunday. <laughs> it's so good. You have to preach about this. So, Chris, for the people listening today, what would be one last thought that you would like to encourage listeners? Maybe I don't see how anyone could doubt the existence of God, Jesus, creation, anything, how science connects with all of it after everything that you shared But if you had one last thought for someone listening that maybe they're still just not sure, what would you like to say to that person today? To that person, I would like to say, be open to the smartest minds in Christianity. There's a reason why so many brilliant people believe in the story of Jesus, not because they just have blind faith. I actually am not in agreement with blind faith. I don't believe in blind faith. I believe Christianity is faith because of rational reasoning that God has given us. And if you're willing to open your ears to listen to some of the best people, their arguments are not just good arguments. They are truly rational at a level that I would consider higher than the other arguments of the opposing view on how we ended up here in the first place. People like Stephen Meyer, brilliant PhD in history and quantum mechanics. I would definitely check him out from Cambridge University, mind you, he's a brilliant writer, talks about all this, or 
Lee Strobel is another one from the he goes and interviews a number of incredible folks on He's this. Great. And actually, he was trying to prove Christianity was false. And along the way, he became a Christian. Yeah, he was um, an atheist. Lee Strobel's right? a great writer. There's so many good writers out there. I would say just go and and just read some of these folks that are the best of the best and 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 really weigh what they have to say. I think you'll be amazed at how much incredible information you can find to support the existence of God. Uh, and that he is the source for everything. Radical reasoning over blind faith. That's awesome. Yeah, I love yep. that. I need to remember that. I just, yeah, I could listen to you for hours and learn from you for hours. I can't thank you enough for being here with Jill and I today and giving us your time and all of your knowledge. You're one of the smartest people I know. Thank you so much, Chris. Yes, thank you. I feel it like was I my pleasure. Here, my mouth hanging open half the time. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> You're amazing. I'm so grateful I get to serve with you and that I can attend your church. And you're just a huge blessing. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a blessing serving with you as well. And I'm learning from you also. So oh, thank it's you. It's been wonderful. Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. Everyone listening, thank you so much for listening today. We're excited to be back with you soon with another episode. And as always, stay, stay wild. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. If you liked what you heard, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Rachel Bain Ministries. Send me a message or leave a comment and I'd love to get back to you. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe button. Remember, you are wildly becoming who God created you to be. The Rise FM Podcast Network.